You're listening to the Own the Build podcast, where each week, Paul Hemming from C-Link interviews experts on how SME developers and contractors can transform their business through intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming and Liam Curley. How's everything today, Liam? What's new with your life? Oh, I'm good, Paul. I've got, I've got nothing new, so I'm going to bat it your way. Uh-huh. What have you been doing? I've been growing a beard, basically, for oh. a few weeks now. <laughs> and <laughs> you've been uh, successful. I've been very successful, yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those where... I've grown it now and I just think, well, should I just keep it or should I get rid of it? I neither like it nor dislike it, but my girlfriend has started to dislike it, which makes me like it that little bit more, to be honest with you. Kind of guy you are, isn't it? It is, it is, yeah. It definitely is. But that's all I've been doing, mate. That's all I've been doing. And I'm glad we've covered it. Okay, tick that box. Anything else? Not really. (laughs) He is like this, I'm afraid. He is like this, guys. You know this. Anyway... Today, our episode is titled Data-Driven Sustainability, which seems quite apt considering we're recording in the midst of the uh, COP26 conference in Glasgow. And we're joined by Brittany Harris, who is a civil engineer by experience, who is now the CEO and co-founder of Qualisflow, who are a digital platform enabling construction teams to collect real-time materials and waste data at source. Welcome to the show, Brittany. Hi guys, yeah, thanks very much for having me. Absolute pleasure to have you here. And as I understand it, having mentioned COP, you're actually going to COP yourself, is that right? I am, yeah, I'm heading up on Monday. I'm on a panel in the Decarbonisation Summit on Tuesday, which should be good. Um, And then heading back down by train on Wednesday. So doing it the slow way, but mobile office, that's how I think of it. So definitely by train, is it, Brittany? Yeah, 100% by train, but I actually love working on the train. So for me, it's like quite peaceful, quite focused. And it's quite a long journey you've got from Devon up to Glasgow, right? Yeah, I've got to go to London and then to to Edinburgh um, and then across to Glasgow. So yeah, it's like once I'm in London, it's only four and a half hours, but the sort of first bit makes it about an eight hour journey in total, which is... Basically a full working day. Yeah, pretty much. And what are, you, what are you talking about at COP, beyond the obvious? So we're talking about decarbonising buildings. Um, and it's really interesting. We had the chat with the panel this morning. So some of them are focused on the sort of operational side of buildings. So eliminating or reducing energy consumption and water consumption. Um, whereas I'm very much focused on the embodied carbon of a building and starting to think about buildings of, you know, banks of materials, of assets that can be repurposed into the circular economy and trying to make sure that, you know, when we embody that carbon in a material, we extend its life as as long as possible. So we're not having to rip out raw materials and keep introducing them and wasting them. So both looking at different ends, so it could be quite an interesting, um, maybe slightly controversial panel. So we'll see how it goes. (laughs) Are you going to be able to have a chat with Boris? Um, you know what? I don't know. I'm a bit worried if I do see him, I might say something I regret. <laughs> or not say enough, I don't know. We'll see. I don't think you will. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so that brings aside from that, uh, that brings us nicely on to an understanding about you, Brittany. So tell us about first your experience in construction in the field, if you like, and now what it is that you're doing. Yeah, so I trained as a civil engineer um, at the University of Bristol, 
And I've been working in the industry for about 10 years. So I started with Mott McDonald on the sort of design side. And then uh, we decided that I wanted to go work abroad. So I went to work for Langer Walk in Hong Kong for a bit on site, which was both absolutely incredible. Uh, we were working on this huge sort of station box extension for the South Island line at Admiralty. Um, so a 40 meter deep excavation into this bright pink granite. I've never seen anything like it. But also it's a 24 hour site. So you're working 13 hour shift. It was absolutely knackering. So I came back to the UK to work in a cushy design office again um, in Bath with Gira Hapold, which is just beautiful. But got more and more frustrated with the industry. I felt that you know there was a lot of opportunities for us to be more efficient, more cost effective, but most importantly, more sustainable. So back in 2016, I met my co-founder Jade, who was working on Crossrail at the time as an environmental advisor. Um, she later moved on to HS2 and we were like, God, this industry could could do a lot better. We could probably use tech to help ourselves do that as well. And so we sort of started digging into that. Um, we pitched it to a few people, got some, raised some investment, and you know, it kind of just snowballed from there. Uh, so now we're we're building, have built, and deployed this piece of technology that's helping the industry track and manage those those materials and that waste, and make sure that it's more efficient and more productive on site, but most importantly, more sustainable as well. And and so. There's two questions. I want to ask you about uh, Qualys Flow, obviously. But before that, what was it that made you want to be a civil engineer? Why did you want to enter construction? Oh, such a funny question. I get asked that a lot. Um, to be honest, I, at first I didn't. I really wanted to go in, into music the theatre. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? Clearly not. Um, I wanted to go into music <laughs> theatre. I was going to go on to the West End. I'd actually like, gone through all this training and like, was fully lined up to do it. And then I kind of realized that the type of people in the West End weren't really my type of people. And I had this like weird love of science, but not the detailed end. Like I could not work in a lab at all. It was very much the sort of big problem solving type of thing. But I'd never really heard of engineering at school. I was really lucky that one of um, the teachers at my school who didn't even teach me was like, Brits, you're clearly panicking over this. Have you looked at engineering? And I suddenly sort of, I started exploring it and I got, got really attracted by this idea that engineers look at the sort of the big scale problems that you know humans and society face and then try and figure out really practical really tangible ways to solve them so i ended up working in uganda for a bit of time after leaving school and realized that you know everything that was really sort of holding back the community there was just naff infrastructure like the roads were horrendous so you couldn't get to market there was no telecom so you didn't know what the market needed water and sanitation was really poor so people were ill a lot and you're kind of like that's exactly what civil engineers do they they build the infrastructure that helps people just get on with their lives and be creative and create all these beautiful things that humans do and i kind of wanted to facilitate that and so like really fell in love with the profession at a really weird basic level i i, I love that that you could have been could have been west end yeah. <laughs> well, civil, civil engineers, such a, uh, such a broad spectrum of options that you, that well, you had. The weird thing is, Paul, I've definitely combined the two. So obviously now running a company, um, I still use all my civil engineering skills to understand the industry and solve problems for our clients. But I also use all of my West End skills to sort of tell the story, attract investment, hire people and just generally go out there and sort of share, share the problem and, and try and get people on board with that mission and that journey. And so really all it is is storytelling to run a company. And so definitely use all those West End skills still. Less singing, but still storytelling. <laughs> well, that's the disappointing thing, because if you just said, you know, if you, if you introduce the singing as well, then um, 
I think you should try to introduce yourself. Well, the thing, the thing is, Liam, I was just about to ask. That's, I was going to say it's very cool. Can you now sing, sing to us <laughs> to start the story of Collis Flow? But clearly, I'm not sure you don't want to do that. <laughs> well, should we wrap this up then? Because that's kind of where I was leading this whole thing to. <sighs> what a shame. <laughs> So the reason why I wanted to ask you about civil engineering, and that does sound, I really like what you're saying about it's taking a big picture and then trying to solve that problem by building all the building blocks to get there. With that in mind, can you tell us about the big problem that you saw in construction with sustainability and what you are trying to do to change that? Yeah, sure. So obviously working in the industry, you see a lot of what's going on on site and the um, the sort of big picture of... Where's the singing, by the way? <laughs> Next time, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, it was very much... So we were looking at the amount of waste that goes off projects. I, I came across an article um, or a research piece done by the UK Green Building Council, and they said that 13% of all materials that go onto site um, go direct to waste without even being used. And it's because, you know, the wrong stuff gets ordered or, you know, the wrong stuff gets delivered or they de- deliberately order too much so they can, you know, build to the schedule, but then they've just got excess stuff on site and it's cheaper or more efficient just to chuck it in the waste than to send it back to the supply chain. So that statistic sort of really worried me, particularly as we also know that construction um, is over half, construction waste is over half of sort of our landfill here in the UK um, and nationally. And that as an industry, we consume 40% of the world's raw resources. So when you put all of that together, we're ripping a huge amount out of the ground to then not really use it in construction and then put it back in the ground in the wrong place, in the wrong format and just call ourselves a massive Horrible to think about, isn't it? It's just like, as soon as I started seeing this, I was like, what are we doing? Like, why is this happening? Like, why do we do that? That makes no sense from a, a cost, from a productivity, from a sustainability perspective. It doesn't actually add up. So Jade and I started sort of chatting to the industry and saying, okay, why do you think this happens? Really, what's going on here? And we realized it, it kind of came down partly to the way that we um, try and manage our projects, you know, the sort of just in time overordering so that we can deliver side of things. And that was a real pain. But it was also because we really didn't have a picture on the scale of that problem and, and really where it was coming in and what the cost of that was at a sort of granular level. So what we set out to do was firstly uncover some of those aspects, but also make it really easy for teams for construction teams to actually see what's coming onto the project see what is being used what's excess really what's gone into the building and then also see what's going off and try and do that sort of in out balance so that we can really start managing that proactively so what qflow does is it captures all of those materials as they come onto site so it's independent of the supply chain but it gives you that picture of what's come through that gate and then it digitizes and and analyzes that information to then say right you've got this amount of timber on the project and so when you come to you know taking apart that building you've got this amount of timber available for something else you've got this amount of waste going off of this kind of makeup and actually if you looked to introduce that to another company that's doing sort of recycling or upcycling then you know this is the sort of cost benefit that you can see and by having a really clear sort of data picture about what's going on on that site, you can really start looking at ways to improve efficiency, actually generate profits and generate um, money from that, but also reduce your your impact from the environmental perspective. Okay. And I can comprehend when materials are coming onto site, I guess it's like a QR code or, or something, which is that that relates back to this is how much material is coming on. Is that correct? Kind of? Yeah. 
So it's even simpler than that. So we looked at QR and barcodes and it was something that was deployed on site while I was on site and it, the team hated it because you had less than like 5% of the supply chain actually delivering using the barcodes. Half of them didn't work and you're just like, oh, more stress. <laughs> yeah, and literally they just got chucked out and didn't use. So we took a completely different approach. So literally all that happens is the truck comes onto the project and they hand you that delivery note that says I've got, you know, 22 by fours and five sheets of plasterboard and um, that piece of paper then they just take a photograph of it on site and that's all the site team have to do so it's very very light touch it doesn't add a new process because they're already taking those pieces of paper they just snap a picture what we then do at qflow is we use some machine learning to basically extract the the text from that image and structure it into a database so we use optical character recognition just for pulling out the actual sort of letter shapes. But the really clever bit is actually looking at those strings of letters and turning that into something meaningful. So we can say, right, it's come from this supplier, this subcontractor's ordered it, and you've got exactly these types of materials listed. So you have a full breakdown, like a bill of quantities, basically, of what's come onto the project. But we then enrich that information as well by drawing in information from third party data sets. So Timber's a really nice example. If you've had a delivery of timber and your project's going for FSC certification, which is a really popular certification at the moment, Qflow will actually link that directly to the FSC's database and say, here's the chain of custody for that supplier and for that material. So all of that really boring admin stuff of typing up the delivery or you know, looking for the chain of um, custody certificate is just taken off your hands. Let the machines do it. But then you can use that information to say, well, hang on a minute this supplier doesn't have that chain of custody certificate, which means it's non-compliant, which means actually it's not right for the project. So actually we need to take that off and we need to start acting on this information. So we've tried to let the machines do the heavy lifting so that the humans with the brains and the creativity and the social skills can actually go and interact with the supply chain and do something valuable with that time. If they've got the social skills, right? That's you know I mean, what? You can't, you, can't, you, can't, you can't cater for that. Our industry has such a bad rep, but I say engineers <laughs> and like the guys on site, a lot of them Especially are absolutely engineers. incredible. <laughs> They're not as bad as software engineers. Don't tell the team I said that, but oh my God. Well, this Different is kettle of fish. hard not to do that. We've got our own one, so I feel your pain. But so... Going back, Brittany, I understand now you have this AI machine learning for what is coming onto site. And you, so you have a comprehension of what is on site in terms of overall material. You talked as well about when it goes off site that you would then be able to net off the balance. How, how do you understand it when it's going off site? Because you don't have the delivery note then, I guess. Well, you do. And that's the interesting thing. So with waste management, you have a waste transfer note. And this is a legal requirement under the Environment Agency that you document, you know, who's taking your waste off, where it's going, what class the waste has, so the EWC code in this case. So Qflow also captures that waste transfer note in exactly the same way, just take a photograph, and then we extract that. We then do the audit check. So on that waste transfer note, there's nine points of duty of care that each every single contractor has to make sure they have um, to be compliant with the Environment Agency's waste code. So we do that check for you, make sure it's all there. If it's not, we'll either try and fill it in ourselves or we'll send it back to you guys and say, actually, you're missing this information. You need to get it. Otherwise, there's a risk to the project. What we're looking at doing is actually taking that a step further. So not just making sure that the paperwork's in place, which is currently what Qflow does, but actually starting to get images of that waste in some way or some shape or form to really get a more granular breakdown and identify ways of actually separating out and repurposing some of that waste and um, so we're, we're pushing the limits using other technology but right now it's it's again it's doing that audit piece from the paperwork but when it's coming off site you know it's not you you, you use the example of 
five bits of plasterboard coming on with two two by fours. If I'm Bob at the subcontractor and I just take off three bits of plasterboard that kind of get removed from site but not in a official manner is there any way of tracking that or so at the moment no but that's a really interesting point because we've had we've seen a couple examples of this on site particularly with um copper and other more lucrative items. <laughs> yeah the, the expensive items <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so yeah there are aspects of where that can be put in place at the moment we haven't built out a sort of really automated way of doing that but what you can do is obviously if you know you've got a sort of one kilometer run of hvac system or something like that that's gone into the building but actually the design only said you needed you know 600 meters worth of HVAC then where's the other 400 where's gone if it's not gone into gone. waste yeah. is it is it off, is it open Bob has been a naughty boy well <laughs> so it's interesting we try and encourage our clients not to use the data as a stick to beat people with but course, as yeah, a yeah. tool to kind of help the supply chain identify ways of you know upskilling or or you know improving their efficiency and that kind of thing so we try and take it as a really positive thing not like absolutely a, yeah. a battering ram <laughs> i mean i wouldn't worry too much about that as well Brittany, because some of these guys there's a lot of creativity around where that role of their <laughs> i've heard a lot of excuses we've had a fantastic example of where this has worked really well so we work with landsec who are a big developer in london and they're going for fsc certified build tip like timber all over this building and right now the supply chain it's really tough to get hold of the right material particularly fsc certified timber so the poor contractors on site are really struggling to procure it and you know we're, we're flagging up that it's the not certified timber that's coming on um and i was like, like you know what is this about um so instead of like saying you know you're not meeting the contract's requirements what they've been able to do with the data is actually sit down and say look this is what we were targeting this is what's possible given the current market and the sort of supply chain that we've got access to. What do you want to do? Do you want us to delay the project and wait for FSC to become available? Or do you want us to move ahead and take on, you know, the fact that, you know, we're not going to have FSC, but we might have PEFC or some other like sustainable timber certification. And are you happy with that? And kind of having that open conversation between client and contractor and actually being able to say, look, it's a tough market right now. We've got the data to make this a dispassionate, a completely objective conversation and really moving that forward productively as opposed to being very combative. Um, and we really hope that having data and having more transparency around that will help to have more productive conversations. And we've really seen that with Landsec, so we've been really impressed. It makes sense because before no one knew, you just don't know what's coming on and what's going off or where it's gone. But that's, that's yeah. the clarity that you're now giving then cultivates a whole new conversation, I guess. And Brittany, we will talk more about this right after the break. Own Build is brought to you from our sponsor, C-Link. Software used by developers and main contractors to manage subcontract procurement in one place. Find subcontractors, automate tenders and contracts, control construction program, compare prices, and improve project profitability with C-Link. To find out more, head to c-link.com. Now back to the show. So, Brittany, one question I wanted to ask, you mentioned about the supply chain. So, at the minute, is it possible to incorporate what subcontractors are bringing on? Yeah, so the way that the data is captured, with that delivery note, normally it will list the supplier, so it might be Travis Perkins or you know other suppliers are available, and it will list a subcontractor that's ordered it. 
And so in the Qflow portal, you will have a full breakdown of what's on that delivery note and you'll be able to see which subcontractors are also placing those orders. What's lovely is we, so we've integrated with Power BI, which I don't know if you guys have come across that. Yeah. yeah so it's sort of a data visualization tool. Um, so you can pull the data directly from Qflow into that and sort of manipulate it and sort of see different trends. Um, and one of the things that we support quite a lot of our clients with is actually seeing which subcontractors are most active on site and over different work. So you'll obviously have a, if you have someone who's doing fit out of bedrooms or something, then they're going to be ordering lots of plasterboard, lots of different sort of small items and you can see where they've got peaks of work going on also you can sort of see trends across the project so you can see when you've got you know the big concrete pours right at the beginning and then you might have a lull and then you'll see the steel coming in as the steel frame goes up and you'll start seeing these different trends based on the materials and so that level of granularity has been really powerful for both you know developers to look at but also the subcontractors to then actually see okay right this is where i slot into that overall narrative and this is where we might have issues that's great. And then with the subcontractor, I'm assuming, and I might be wrong, that you can't capture what they're taking away that's theirs. Because if you're the developer or the main contractor, like you say, you, you'll take it to waste or whatever, and you can capture that, I'm guessing you would lose anything that they're taking. It depends. Yeah, it really depends how the workflow is set up on site. So if they're, if it's sort of a, a two-man band who come on in a little, you know, white van and they're taking stuff off in the back of the van and they're not using a waste transfer note, which you know, normally they should be in some way, they might take it back to a consolidation centre of their own and then they would, if they do have waste, it should have a waste transfer. But yeah, the Qflow won't necessarily capture that if it's all happening off site. And this is part of what we do at the sort of early stages in configuring the portal for the project is understanding what bits of information are most important to the client and also what workflows exist across the project that we need to interface with. So, you know, with commercial buildings, it's quite simple because you've got normally one gate and everything comes in and out of that gate and you can capture it. Whereas we also work on highways and infrastructure projects and they're linear. And so that is carnage. I mean, we have to have multiple points of capture. We have to train multiple people to just take the photos. And so it's it's about understanding, you know, the workflow for each bespoke construction site. And we've tried to make sure the tool is super flexible and super simple so that it can be deployed in sort of any kind of setting and still add that value. So once you have a comprehension of what is coming on and what is going off site and you analyze the data at the end of the project or during the project, what is it giving you? What what do you see your clients getting out of this? Yeah, so there's there's sort of three core areas that they tend to get value. So for the contractors on site, whether they're, you know, tier two SMEs, tier ones or whatever side, they get immediate time savings. So one client that we're working with, they've reported a 271% efficiency gain on their invoice verification process, um, which really? blew our minds. We were like, how bad was it to start with? Um, but the, the reality is, is, you know, they don't have someone typing all that information in and doing a manual cross-check. They've managed to automate a lot of that process. So they've saved, you know, over £100,000 a year just by automating that process. So there's that sort of immediate time saving. Then on top of that, there's that reduced risk. So particularly where um, we, our first client was Canary Wharf um, contractors, and they were going, again, for this FSC certified project. They found out right at the end of one of their builds that all the kitchens that had been installed were not FSC. And so they lost that certification on the project. Um, this was before they had Qflow. And they then had to go through this process with the client of basically 
losing some of their fees because they hadn't delivered to the specification. So that's why they engaged us because they were like, we can't go through that again. Um, so there is a reduced risk of sort of failing to meet contractual obligations or commitments, and therefore there's a cost benefit to that. But the bit that gets, I think, really interesting and exciting in the future and is really hard to quantify is actually the value of the data itself. So during the construction process, we've got teams who are using that data to reduce their carbon emissions in the way that they're moving waste. So they're identifying nearer waste facilities, which means they're not transporting that waste so far and therefore they're reducing their carbon, which is valuable from a client perspective for them. They can win more work. They can really talk about that. They're also using that data to start building up a sort of really comprehensive picture of the materials that have gone into a building. So, for example, with someone like Landsec or Great Portland Estates, they can actually view their buildings as a bank of materials that can be accessed at a later date. So say they need to take down a building or refit a section, but they're also building something else. They can then say, well, we've got 100 doors in here with a design life of 25 years. They've only been in there five years. So let's save, you know, £60,000 on doors and move them across. And so you're starting to have a really not just a circular approach, but a very data-driven approach, the way that you're managing your assets. And although it's really hard to quantify and sort of visualize now, the sort of future potential of that data can just be massive. And I don't think the construction industry's quite grasped how valuable that is yet. But when you look at companies like Google and Amazon who are just thriving off the value of their data, there's, there's so much more that we can do as an industry around that. I was going to say, even if you look at the way that, Travis Perkins would approach stock management. They do that. It's just that that is not that concept, which and it's the same concept that you're talking about, whereas you where you view these items as your stock and you 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 know exactly what you've got, where it is, and when you've got it, and you can move it. Yeah, exactly. And as a I am a QS, so Uh oh. <laughs> uh, uh, exactly. Number one, sorry about that. But so I, I, I can see this tool potentially being, and, and going back to what we said at the top, as a really good way to save money, increase profits, etc. Beyond its automation, it saves a lot of time. If we're saving X percent or we're understanding that there's all of this material on site that we don't need, is it a case that you need to go through one project to understand the inefficiencies and then you can get rid of them in the second project? How... How can I actually use that data to make a difference? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and it's something that we're exploring with quite a few of our clients at the moment. So where they've deployed Qflow across their full portfolio, they're able to compare similar projects and start looking at why did one produce so much less waste when it's a very similar build and that kind of thing, particularly on projects that are like highways projects where they are really quite similar and quite easily to reflect sort of linear miles of, of highway. And they are starting to use the data to start asking those questions. It does help the sort of more you deploy it, the more value you get from it. It's that sort of increasing returns because you're getting a better picture of what's going on. So if you're just deploying it on one site, yeah, you'll get the efficiency gains and you'll reduce the risk on that one project. But if you deploy it on 20 sites, you're also getting the added value and in the insight of seeing, okay, which ones are performing better? Was that because this team was super efficient or was it because this build type was super efficient? We're actually working with a couple of housing developers to compare MMC, so modern methods of construction, directly against traditional methods. And they're just trying to figure out what does that mean for waste? Does that make us less or more efficient? How is this working? But until you have the data on that, you can't even answer that question. And so they're really capturing the data to say, 
can we start asking questions of how this is working? Which way are we going to go? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it can inform, you know, really broad, big business strategies. And I think where we're working with some of the sort of more forward-thinking developers, it's actually about informing their overall business strategy moving forward as opposed to just gaining, you know, small margins on, on individual projects. And informing it in what regard, what procurement method to use full stop? It, it can be so many things. So it can be, you know, which suppliers are better to work with, which ones are more reliable, um, which ones are, you know, more resilient from a sort of waste management perspective. It can be which approaches do we take? So is going for FSC certified project actually increasing the amount of waste we generate? No one knows. No one's able to answer that question at the moment. Um, and so actually you can start targeting if your objective as a company is to reduce your embodied carbon and then you're setting targets around FSC certified timber, that might not actually be helping you achieve that outcome. It's annoying because it's not just one thing. You can ask so many questions of the data um, and it doesn't just have to be around sustainability as well. So the guys at Bouygues are using it for cost control and they're, they're able to really dig into what's going across their supply chain from a cost perspective and really start thinking, well, the, this seems quite excessive compared to this project. Well, this supplier maybe isn't the right one for us to work with moving forward, or this supplier really outperformed. We should definitely work with them on all of our sites. And it's that kind of insight that they can start drawing out. Okay. And you've talked about um, Landsec and Canary Wharf contractors who are both developers who I've, who I've worked on jobs for them in the past. So they're big, big jobs, great jobs. We have a lot of listeners here in the SME world, and you talked about tier two, but we're probably sometimes even a little bit smaller than that as well, where we have residential developers doing between, I don't know, five and 50 units, kind of where you have this huge amounts of material, you talk about highways and civils, and then obviously Canary Wharf Landsec. Can we use this kind of software for SME smaller projects and get similar gains and get similar understanding and then understand how to do procurement in the same way that the house housing developers are doing yeah so it's really interesting because when we first started designing qflow we actually wanted to work more with the smes because we felt like you know there's you know 100 let's say or maybe even 20 or so massive contractors but actually there's thousands of smes and so if we're going to really make a shift across the industry we need to be supporting them so we do work with smes so we work with john perkins in bristol i think they're about a 10-man team and the value for them is sort of still all the things around the strategic um, use of the data, but there's also a, an additional layer of value that the tier ones just don't get to access. And it's about increasing the capacity and cap capability of the team. So the guys at John Perkins, they don't have a dedicated environment or sustainability person, but they're still being asked to deliver Briam, well, FSC, because they work for you know universities and sort of redoing buildings and that kind of thing. And so actually the overhead of trying to manage that sustainability reporting and sort of deliver on those contractual aspects is really high for a small company. Whereas if you've got a software system that's doing that for you and actually has got the kind of like the inbuilt like environmental skills and is just flagging via an email notification to your site engineer, oh, you've got uncertified timber on site, maybe get rid of that one. Um, or, oh, you just had a waste transfer, it's not complete, Do you want to make sure your supply chain deal with that it's actually increasing the capacity and the capability of really small really resource constrained teams so i think that the sort of strategic value of the data is still very much there if the smes are sort of looking that way forward and um rupert perkins he's the md of john perkins is so forward thinking he's so blue sky he's absolutely fantastic and he really is investing in the data 
but for his guys on site it's actually about getting them the sort of capacity and, and capability support that they need to deliver on you know ever increasing client demands for these sort of more sustainable more transparent projects so we'd love to work with more SMEs and we're very very open to those conversations that's it's it's really interesting isn't it because you talk uh, even that if you're a team of 10 and you can get a 271 percent efficiency gain on just the administration process of, of one thing it stops you having to employ someone completely new potentially as well right so yeah so instead of having to have two three dot controllers in your team to just do the paperwork side of things you could get away with just one and it's sort of making sure that okay that person that you have is actually using their time to do the value add activities not just type stuff into spreadsheets I still find it really depressing that you've got people with these amazing brains just being data monkeys I'm just like Oh, it's just be so miserable. What are we, what are we um, doing? What yeah. a waste. <laughs> Liam, I'm looking at you and I am seeing a man who is pensive. What is running <laughs> through your mind? I thought you were thinking about what, that, that comparison of me being some sort of data monkey or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, could see, I could see that you were thinking before then. No, I was just thinking about, you know, my time as an SME and, you know, just from a commercial perspective, because it was challenging to order certainly certain materials, get the right volume, you wouldn't want to go under because that was a huge problem, especially if at a lead time. So you'd end up on occasion with, you know, a lot of material and it was really difficult. What do you do with it? Because if you're a small team, you don't have big capacity to take it back to base. There isn't a base sometimes, yeah. Sometimes you don't have a base, yeah. It's really expensive. To do that and you can't find anyone to get rid of it if, if you've if you've made something to fit that job whether it's a certain type of insulation or whatever so you're desperately trying to get as close to the right figure as possible so you don't even just from a selfish perspective just so that you don't end up with loads of materials that you're gonna have to get rid of and it's gonna cost you money never mind all the sustainability stuff but you're always ordering too much, aren't you? Is is yeah. still to cover to cover yourself, which then when you put it in the sustainability context, and even in the commercial context, you think, God, it just doesn't make any sense, does it? It's but just terrible. Is, I, yeah, yeah, I was one small contractor, so everyone's doing it because you you can't be sure if you know I was roofing. So if you're ordering a certain type of slate and it's um, a bespoke type of slate and it's got an eight week lead time, you cannot do it made to make you I've, no you can't do it just in time so inevitably you're left with all this um slate or insulation whatever someone somewhere would love to get that you don't know who they are and it just goes in the end most of it goes to waste so we it's really interesting because like I'm like personally I'm currently um I've just bought a house that needs a lot of work um and I'm trying to do it all with circular on the circular economy so getting materials from a secondhand market and try to like not buy anything new not because I'm trying to be stingy but because I like although I am on a budget um desperately trying to make this as sustainable as possible and so there are sort of these sort of secondhand markets growing obviously Facebook market is one that everyone um it's 
really boomed it's doing really well you've got gumtree and freecycle but there are specific ones for the construction industry that are coming out so you've got globe train you've got environment and one thing that we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to explore how the data caption in Qflow could flag into these systems or could actually create a facilitated link to these systems so that someone like yourself Liam when you've got excess slate you could put up you know I've got a hundred spare slates of this type they're ready to go you know can this go on to this this platform so really trying to create a circular market or a circular economy or just a resale market within construction and on the as you sort of go down the chain it does become more possible when you go up the chain to the big tier ones the quality control and the sort of risk management and the legislation really blocks it um that's and so that's interesting yeah, it's got to come from higher up that we're allowed to use or reuse materials from a structural sort of like consistency but, yeah, perspective. Which, which, which makes sense. But I would have thought, you know, up, up, up the chain, it would have been really possible because it would have been bigger quantities and bigger so volumes, on. Bigger volumes, yeah. But down the chain, it's not that quality is less, but there's less bureaucracy and exactly. red tape blocking you from doing that. That's so interesting. I wanted, I wanted to ask you, Brittany, one last question, which is, and maybe you've kind of answered it, but you, the technology that you have where do you see it in five to ten years how do you see it impacting construction in the future yeah so i mean as i was saying we'd really love to sort of drive this this sort of circular economy approach into construction and really make sure that you know where we are using materials we're using them efficiently and effectively but we're also trying to keep them in the in the market as long as possible so sort of two things that we're looking at in the industry at the moment one is bim um, I know BIM is like this ethereal monster that no one seems to, yeah, <laughs> Paul's shooting himself in the head. Yeah, I mean, it is horrendous. <laughs> um, some of the things we're trying to unpick how we can draw down information from BIM, like the material schedules, and basically verify against that. So we can say, yeah, we're building what we expected to, and yeah, we've got the right amount of material to do that, which should hopefully help with this sort of ordering to the right level and really tighten those sort of um, those controls there. The other side is also with BIM, if you're verifying what's gone into the building, you then have that sort of digital twin of your building saying this is exactly what's in that structure, therefore we can repurpose that in the future. So making it not just a construction phase tool, but sort of a life cycle of an asset tool that is actually helping to make sure that when we use those materials, we're using them for as long as we possibly can and really getting the value out of that embodied carbon. I think it's, uh, you know, just that example of what Liam has said and the circular nature of the economy that we could build in construction. I personally think it's very exciting. And I will say this, I think the West End has lost out and the construction, <laughs> and the construction industry has won by the fact that you chose to become an engineer versus going to uh, the West End. So honestly, Brittany, that has been a really, really cool episode. Really, really interesting. I'll be putting um, Qflow's details along with your own details in the podcast description. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. It's been a real pleasure to have you here. Thanks so much, guys. It was lovely to chat. Thanks, Brittany. Good to see you. And remember to give Boris your mind <laughs> over the next couple of weeks. Let's see if I can track him this, down. This episode, comes out, this episode comes out a couple of weeks in a couple of weeks' time. So if you have heard that Brittany has gone after Boris, this this was the the forewarning. Front page news. <laughs> she'll, catch, she'll, she'll catch him before he gets on his private jet home. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Awesome. All right, guys, thank you so much. Brittany, Cheers I'll see you all. soon. Liam, Thanks see you soon. next week. See you next week. Bye. Cheers. Bye.